Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 75 movies, one cage. Today's movie is The Ant Bully from 2006. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And this is honestly kind of what I was expecting, what I was hoping for, out of the Cage animated voice realm. Unlike Christmas Carol, I thought this movie, I thought it really gave him an opportunity to show his voice range. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. This is much more along the lines of what I was sort of imagining his first animated feature would be like. He, he, he's pretty much in the starring role. He sounds like Nick Cage, and, and he gets to explore the full range of his voice, of his of his his music, let's say. <laughs> so it's an animated movie from 2006, like I said. It's about 10 years after A Bug's Life and Ants come out. Cage is in the starring role. He's kind of, like, I don't want to say he's the bad guy, but he's kind of cast at times as the bad guy. He's sort of like the face of this group of ants, right? Like, he's kind of, not their leader necessarily, but he's the one that we were first introduced to. As the movie goes on, he sort of stays true to what he believes, and that kind of puts him in the background. So it's kind of cool. We kind of get a little bit of Cage as the hero and Cage as the villain in this movie. Yeah, I kind of liked what this did in terms of the characters. Like, it starts off following him and his ant life, and then it sort of switches over to the human boy for a while, and then we come back and follow one of the female ants, voiced by Julia Roberts, for a while. Uh, And then, you know, later on, yeah, he sort of bows out of the film for a little while, but he is still just as important. And it's interesting how I just liked how the movie shared its screen time with the other characters very well. Yeah, like we were talking about that Cage is off screen for a while and then Bruce Campbell shows up and we just sort of follow him around for a while. It is cool that Cage is, in theory, the star, but there's probably like maybe 15, 20 minutes in the middle of the movie where he's just not in it. And we've had that before. I think we miss him in terms of Cage Club, but the movie just keeps working. Like it just keeps going and we doesn't matter who we're necessarily following or what we're watching happen on screen, it just works, and it's entertaining, and it's enjoyable, and it makes sense. Yeah, he, he's you know he's definitely one of the main characters, but that's the thing. He's just one of the main characters. Uh, he, he is sort of the catalyst for the entire story happening in a lot of ways. You know, like it's also about this boy who becomes ant-sized. Yet it's because of him that the boy becomes ant-sized. So (laughs) his presence is always there, you know, even when he's off screen. I like that. And and I also like that I didn't realize this is this is the first time we have sort of animal Nick Cage, right? He's playing he's playing an ant, an anthropomorphic ant. So this is kind of interesting to to see how they captured his likeness as well as an ant. I I thought this movie did a a better job than the movie Ants with a Z with Woody Allen, (laughs) but maybe not quite as as clean and clear as A Bug's Life, but I did enjoy the style of animation. So now Cage will return as an animal in G-Force. Is he an animal at any other point in his career? I don't think so. I don't know, though. We'll have to wait and see. (laughs) (laughs) The animation is cool. I mean, they give Bruce Campbell a really big chin. They do a lot of sort of fun things that if you know the voice, if you recognize the voice, it kind of gives the parents something maybe to chuckle at that. I was thinking as I was watching this movie, I can see little kids saying, oh, I love this mean ant. I want to see more movies that he's done and then like the parents thinking back on terms of like horrific (laughs) terrifying things that cage has done and it's just funny that this could be and probably was in the mid-2000s along with national treasure a lot of kids introduction to nicholas cage 
And if they only knew <laughs> how he got to where he was, they would be terrified. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how I feel this movie got a little lost in the shuffle, perhaps, during the millennium, the new millennium there, because it just felt like bombardment of animated features like this because, yeah, it was the new style to do things in and things like that. It does seem like the talent involved is geared sort of more toward the parent also trying to go, you know, get the parent in the seats because sure. we, we have Meryl Streep, Julia Roberts, like I mentioned. You mentioned Bruce Campbell, Paul Giamatti, who does a great job as the evil human, you know. <laughs> I thought I thought he was really hamming it up. You're right. It's good for the whole family. It's It deserves a little more recognition. It's a little better than other animated films that I've seen that have gotten higher praise. It's kind of weird, and I was looking up in terms of the IMDb rating and stuff, and it's lower rated than A Bug's Life, which makes sense because that's Pixar, but it's also like significantly lower rated than Ants. Hmm. And I've never seen Ants, but I can't imagine that this is much worse, because I like this movie. I thought this was pretty good, and like you said, there's a lot of voices in there that I like, and everybody seems really committed, and they seem like they're enjoying it and putting together a good performance. The movie is fun, but in terms of, I guess, its importance in history, in animated history, I was telling you earlier that this was the first Warner Brothers animated movie to be released in IMAX 3D. And I know that's sort of specific. It's one studio and animated, not just everything. But it seems like it's kind of like a landmark-ish film that we were talking about, how it's kind of like Ant-Man 3D and there's sort of some kind of effects there. It seems like it was important at some point and it's weird that I've just never heard... Like, this is a movie, if it wasn't for Cage Club, I don't think I ever would have heard. Yeah, and, and I also discovered, after watching this film, that it's based on a very popular children's book. And, and, you know, it's produced by Playtone, which is Tom Hanks's production company. And apparently this is a book that he used to read to his son, you know, every night. And was like, hey, you know, it should be an animated film. Let, let's get this going. Let's get this in the pike. And I have seen Ants, and I'll just tell you, it, I mean, it just is weird. It's strange. It's very... It's very <laughs> adult like you know it almost feels like it's going for a simpsons vibe where it's one of the animated features for adults only kind of thing and kind of was advertised and geared towards kids for some strange reason but that would seem like a misfire and i definitely enjoyed this more and i understand the reasoning behind you know like you said the imax 3d release makes total sense because of the scale that they play with very much like ant-man you know i i was definitely getting visions of ant-man you know more than one time. There's there's a joke in here that's sort of the, you know, biggest joke in Ant-Man was done here first, you know, like nine years earlier in a way. Um, we'll get to yeah. it, right? And yeah, I thought it was very cool. You know, I was, you know, it's definitely got some weird moments in it. You know, I think the first, you know, 15 minutes is some of the reasoning behind it is a little strange, but I went with it because, you know, it's a children's film and everything. So I endorse it. I endorse this movie. <laughs> <laughs> the movie starts out in Cage is sort of like a magician ant or like a wizard ant i'm not sure exactly like in this world ants kind of have like a mystical power and they're able to conjure up potions and spells uh, sort of what's cool is a kind of like ant-man they show the ants as they are in nature and how they're able to be so productive and build these great things but also in this world they just can make magic <laughs> and the movie starts out with cage looking for these crystals He's kind of a little bit of an outcast, or at least not necessarily in everybody's good graces, because he's waking everybody up looking for these things. He's looking for fire crystals, and he finds them, and it's just, it's kind of a cool, like, we, like the first guy we see, we don't have to wait long, because Cage is like the first thing that we see, he's just right there doing his ant thing. I'm so sorry, but I must have the final ingredient for my potion. Now, what's more important? 
me completing my life's work for the salvation of the colony, uh, which includes you guys, or your sleep. Uh, sleep. I'm going with sleep. Yeah, the second one. Well, then I shall try to be very quiet. Yeah, I loved how he was the first voice we heard, the first character we see, and, you know, it just got me into the movie immediately because I knew that he was going to be in it way more than he was as Jacob Marley's ghost, right? Like, he's going to be a main character. And I also like how they set him up as this sort of shaman, or, like, he refers to himself as a wizard, but he he also seems to be kind of a scientist as well, almost like an alchemist, right? He's sort of the only ant that stands apart from the rest of the ants in a lot of ways, and that he's the only one interested in things other than foraging and protecting the queen and and so forth and so on but he's got this little bug friend called spindle that follows him around and he talks to him (laughs) and so it's cool how he has like a reason to talk out loud and we can hear his inner thoughts and things so yeah it was just a lot of fun right off the bat it was very unexpected and uh, i was just going with it the other thing that they do right away is that they set up the main villain which is this guy that they call the destroyer because he's a little kid who just likes to pick on ants with a magnifying glass glass with water guns whatever he just likes killing ants as kids i guess or want to do his name is lucas and what i thought was kind of funny in the real world movie is that the kid's last name is the same last name as the guy who wrote the book it's like the guy who wrote the book that this movie was based on wrote the movie about his son i'm guessing so that like that's kind of i, I like that that it's it meant something to tom hanks and his son and it meant something to the author and his son too there's definitely lessons to be learned in this film and you know I, I imagine in the book as well right as a heavy anti-bully message sure so maybe <laughs> I'm now picturing the author trying to tell his son something like passive aggressively <laughs> you know like here just read this book kid and so this poor kid in the movie Lucas is being bullied by like, all the neighborhood kids and he takes out his anger on these ants and they call him the destroyer his grandma calls him peanut so there's all these different names for the kid the way that cage is is going to save his colony and like you were saying i think he's the only one that stands out because he sort of looks for the greater good kind of that everybody's so focused on the now in terms of getting food to survive and live another day he's looking at the bigger picture what he's looking for at the start of the movie is these ingredients to find this potion that really quickly like in the first in the beginning part of the movie shrink lucas down from boy size to ant size he does, he's not even sure that's what the potion's going to do, right? <laughs> like, that's what's so kind of funny about it is he is making all this stuff up as he goes along. And he's just like, you know, if I could get the potion to change colors, something good will happen for the colony. You know, I just could feel it in my bones. And then, you know, when they have this big plan to sort of use this potion on Peanut the Destroyer, they're not even certain it's going to shrink him necessarily, unless there's a deleted scene or something like that. So yeah, all that writing is kind of just, you know, it's very loose. It doesn't really matter to me because we're dealing with talking ants to begin with. <laughs> and so I didn't really, I was kind of wondering how they were going to get the kid down to their size. It is very stupid, but I don't really care. I mean, I just want the kid to be ant-sized, you know? Once yeah. once he's that, once that happens, like, I feel like the real movie sort of kicks off. Yeah, Cage doesn't necessarily know. You're right. He doesn't necessarily know what the potion's going to do. He just knows or hopes that is the answer to their problems. And what I like about this part of the movie is that we get a little bit of frustration from Cage, but like G-rated frustration. <laughs> yeah. Like he's not like really freaking out, but he's upset and he's like, you sort of get that Cage anger, that build up that intense passion. But I mean, it's, it's in a movie that's for kids. So 
he can't really go too crazy, but it's cool that we get to see him do that. We must stop the destroyer. But thousands of ants would needlessly die. Perhaps if we could communicate, you know, just just talk with the human. Oh, what a great idea. Let's have a nice chat. Well, hello, destroyer. Gee, you look kind of tired. Why don't you just rest your enormous feet on my girlfriend? Yeah, it's maybe a bit like Honeymoon in Vegas where he's freaking out on the phone or something, <laughs> right? Or maybe a national treasure when he they find a dead end or something. So it's, yeah, as much as he could get away with for the kids. I'm glad that he's able to do that and tone it down and make it work for another audience, you know? That's what I found funny is that he, he can sort of tailor his talents, right, to fit whatever the rating needs it to be. So it's kind of cool he could use all of his techniques no matter whatever the situation calls for whatever the ratings call for put him in any decade put him in any genre he's gonna fit right in before they shrink down peanut the destroyer though his parents leave to go on vacation to spain and so he's there with his sister and his grandma and now that he's the man of the house this exterminator comes up and says oh i talked to your dad just sign this paper and i'll take care of your aunt problem and he's like, all right, whatever. Like, he sort of puts up a little bit of a resistance. He's like, all right, whatever. Almost immediately, he gets shrunk down. That night, he goes to sleep, and he gets shrunk down. It doesn't come back for about an hour, but eventually, the exterminator, like you said, played by Paul Giamatti, is going to turn out to be the, the movie's real main big bad guy. Yeah, they do a lot of clever setups in this movie, believe it or not, right? They set up the exterminator to come back later. They, they set up the video game that the kid plays yeah. to come back later. I was very impressed by a lot of that. Later on, there's sort of this, this attack on the colony, and that comes back later in an interesting way at the end, you know, with the wasps. I think they're wasps. And Giamatti is just, like I said, he's hamming it up, you know, and, and he's clearly like the devil, right? <laughs> I mean, he, there's even like something I couldn't quite catch what was written on the side of his truck, but it is definitely like BLZ bug or something to that. Beelzebub, yeah, yeah, something like that. So it's pretty funny. The script is kind of smart. I don't know if smart is necessarily the right word. They, there's a lot of things in the script that do get set up early on, and they almost all come back in the end. Or like when they have to go hang gliding, Lucas knows what to do, or Peanut knows what to do, because he's like, oh, I played in the video game before. Like, I know exactly how to hang glide. We've sort of had frustrations, I think, with other Cage Club movies in terms of lazy or mm-hmm. not well-set-up scripts. And it's kind of like, take a page out of this kid's <laughs> movie. This is all you need to do. It's interesting how simple the film tries to keep it. And I think that's part of the trick, is when you have a focus, right, or you don't try and veer too far far or add too much, then all the good ways to write it kind of seem to reveal themselves as opposed to juggling too many things in the air and then stuff gets lost and focus and attention gets drawn into too many different directions. But yeah, this movie deals with a pretty core central story. The peripheral stuff yeah, is all pretty much set up in punchline. And we, I even love his grandma, who's supposed to be watching him for the weekend. She sees him getting taken away by the ants, but yeah. she's a UFO enthusiast. So she just spends the weekend locked in her room, thinking the aliens are coming for her next and stuff. So all these interesting ways to keep the kid out of his human life. The grandma voiced by Lily Tomlin, apparently originally is supposed to be voiced by Shirley MacLaine, but she had to drop out. He gets shrunk down, the grandma sees him go, they bring him back to the car colony and they meet up with the queen who is played by Meryl Streep reprising her cage club appearance from adaptation she says to him here is your punishment you need to become an ant we need someone to teach him our ways 
and Julia Roberts is the only one who volunteers. His punishment, I guess, because he's been so mean to the ants, he has to become them. He has to take, live a day in their shoes, know what they go through, gain a little bit of empathy for them. And now Peanut the Destroyer is the size of a peanut. I thought that was pretty funny, too. Uh, <laughs> and I love how, the, like, you know, ant society is pretty well established, too. Like, they have sort of, like, war paint or just markings in some way, and there just seems to be, like, thought put into their way of life and stuff like that. And and now this kid is going to have to, he's a stranger in the strange land. He's going to experience ant society firsthand for himself, learn pretty much <laughs> what he's been so quick to destroy, he's going to yeah. learn the value of here. He's sort of like, it's kind of like the, the, the fun and games part of the movie where he has to go and there's like two teams of ants, they have to go foraging, Regina King is telling them what to do. He gets frustrated because he's not as good as an ant, he still is learning the ways of the ant, but before he can really pout too long were thrown into chaos because the flying bugs, are they wasps? Are they flies? We're not sure. There's some kind of attacking <laughs> flying bug. They show up and they're coming for the colony. And so it's sort of all hands on deck. They all need to go protect the colony. Yeah, and I was not expecting a battle sequence in this movie or any kind of action to this degree. Like we just and got, we get a, and we get a couple of those too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we just got like the training exercise was a cool little edutainment learning experience about how ants make ladders with themselves, you know, and they very much into teamwork. Whereas Lucas is sort of you know still a loner and wants to do things on his own. But before we could catch our breath, yeah, I, I just thought they were wasps because they had stingers and. But they're not yellow, or so it's very. It's sort of made up for the film, perhaps. It's scary, nonetheless, though. You know, I was not expecting this sort of scare to come about. Yeah, little children, close your eyes. <laughs> and Lucas, instead of help going to help the ants, runs away. He's not necessarily like I think. Isn't Julia Roberts like sort of pinned down yeah. by one of these flying bugs? And Cage is like, what are you doing? Help her! And he just runs away, that he's so scared. I guess the big thing in this movie is that ants are loyal, that they're always going to be there, they're always going to sacrifice themselves to help their friend, and Lucas doesn't get that. He's just sort of this little brat. He's thrown into a whole new world, it's sort of hard for him to adjust, but he just hasn't learned that lesson yet. Yeah, yeah, and and for as much as sort of an outsider as Nick Cage is, I think his character is Zoc, Zoc, Z-O-C, I believe. As much as Nick Cage is an outsider in the ant community, he's still out there battling with his magic staff, you know, and like shooting light bolts out of the crystal and everything like that and jumping around and stuff. So I was like, well, this is like getting kind of dark. Like Lucas looks over his shoulder at Julia Roberts pinned down and looks over at Nick Cage and runs into the high grass and just talk about like fighting flight or freeze like he definitely took the flight eventually he kind of saves the day and this is what we were talking about i think earlier right with the ant-man joke there's a little firecracker in the lawn and he gets it to start like he gets it to light and one of these things one of the bugs whatever what are we gonna call do you want to just call them wasps yeah i think so we'll just call them wasps and one of the wasps gets its stinger stuck in the firecracker And it explodes, but the way that it explodes is that we zoom out to human level, and we just see the grass, and we just see the little, like, of smoke. It's the same, like, really funny joke that's in Ant-Man, the Thomas the Tank Engine, all these different things. We're invested in these action scenes, but in the real world, it's just almost insignificant. Yeah, and I had a genuine laugh at that moment, and that's when I knew I I was going to like the rest of this movie, because it just totally won me over. And it made me believe in it, because it did that joke nine years ago, you know? (laughs) And it played just as well, you know? I thought that was uh, a great moment in the film. It would have been funny if we had seen this before we saw Ant-Man, 
so that in the theater we could be like, oh, like this is that's exactly <laughs> what the ant bully did. People were like, what are you talking about? They did one thing in this as well that I picked up on when I, I saw the Lego movie. There's sort of a, a little chamber of human relics where they have a key or an, an eraser and like a bobby pin and, and a safety pin and things like that. And, and it reminded me of Lord Business's chambers in the Lego movie Tower where he, he sort of <laughs> keeps like the chewed gum and the battery and all that kind of stuff as well. So I was like, well, yeah, this has this has bits that are good. These bits have, you know, maintained over the years. Maybe this movie is more influential than we imagine. Who knows who worked on this and then went <laughs> out and worked on those? You just, you know, you can never tell, right? Yeah, the guy who directed and wrote this movie, or wrote the screenplay at least, basically has never done anything else. He's done some work on Jimmy Neutron, but it's not like he, from what I can mm-hmm. tell has lent his credibility or his experience anywhere else. Okay. Just figured that movie, this movie got lost in the mix at some point, you know. There was just such a volume of this type of animated movie at the time. So, you know, it's too bad that he didn't, you know, he got his shot and it didn't go anywhere. But, like, I just think of at least he got his shot. And even though Lucas saves the day, Cage doesn't necessarily believe it. And he kind of gives Lucas a hard time that, oh, this guy saw this guy ran away. Why are you all treating him like a hero? And this is kind of the point in the movie where Cage transitions from being like the good guy, the guy that we're really following, to this guy who doesn't necessarily see Lucas as the kid who is genuinely trying to become helpful. That he goes here from hero to semi-villain, and it works. Like, it's a natural transition. Oh, yay! Yay! He saved us! Oh, it's so obvious. I was so dumb. Praise the Destroyer! Wake up! He saved himself. The rest of us just... just got in the way. Zuck! Are you all right? Let me see. What happened to you? I'm fine. I'm fine. You're hurt! No, no, it's nothing, really. Zuck, do you have any yucca sap? Lucas has a burn. Mm, Poor baby. This is our enemy! They do not save ants. They kill ants. He very nearly killed me. What does that not matter to you? I wrote this time down uh, where he sort of does his sarcastic cage where he's all praise the destroyer now right and he's like everybody loves lucas and all this and i think it's it's funny how justified his character's actions are because he did see him pretty much he he knows he's a coward and he just whatever he did it was just pure luck the colony doesn't see that or doesn't even care because the whole point is that they're safe now and so cage this is when he kind of goes away from the movie for a while and we start to follow lucas and lucas goes and now he's kind of friends with the other ants because he just saved the day and they're eating honeydew which is just gel that's been pooped out of one of the ants butts or something <laughs> and he has a little freak out and i feel like that's something that we've seen in a couple different movies yeah. maybe yeah it's slurm from futurama <laughs> when he goes to the slurm factory and it's just the major queen coming out of her butt and right into the can although slurms mckenzie and slurm did predate this so maybe that was a little reference hmm. to that who knows it could be and then they go into the kitchen they go they try to they want to get some jelly beans they have to travel to the kitchen and get there however possible to get more food for the colony but also lucas is going because he knows that he basically doomed all of his new friends to death uh, by setting up that exterminator appointment so he's going to go to the kitchen and get the phone and make the phone call to cancel that appointment yeah and i love the setup for this too where he's accepted into the colony and after they eat they sort of show him we get to see a little more of ant society and 
you know, their philosophy. And aside from the queen ant, there's like the high queen priestess type ant thing. There's like this fresco painted on the wall of ants through the ages and the story of their life and stuff. And, and they see this ant angel basically painted on the wall. But next to it is the exterminator, right? And they call him the cloud breather. And that's when Lucas is like, oh, crap, I've, I've basically summoned <laughs> the devil to come like, destroy us all. That sparks his need to get to the house. But, but he convinces some of the ants, including Bruce Campbell, to come with and forage jelly beans. And then they go into the house, and he sort of curses the shag carpet because it's going to take forever <laughs> to get across the kitchen. And so instead they climb up the desk, and they have one of the grandma's many fans in the house, which apparently keeps aliens away? I don't know. But they have the little flower petals, and so they hang glide. This is when that video game comes back. And they all hang glide into the kitchen. And as they're going... They pass a couple things, like they see little pyramids. He says, oh, the real ones are much bigger. And then they pass a poster of Hawaii. And they say, oh, Hawaii is beautiful. You know, that's where Don Ho lives. And I was like, whoa, Don Ho, (laughs) that's the third movie in the Cage Club where Don Ho, like you said, Mike, I think Don Ho is like the only person who lives in Hawaii, apparently. Yeah, I don't understand. It's like the only famous thing to come out of Hawaii ever was like Don Ho. It's like the go-to reference. We've got him in Honeymoon in Vegas. We got him in Snake Eyes. And now we got him here in the Ampoli. And, and they're like three movies that couldn't be any less related. And you did a cool thing that you grabbed the Don Ho, the Don Ho references from each of those three movies. Well, no, no, not off the top of my head. What about near where Don Ho or Jack Lord lives? That must be a pretty good neighborhood. Jesus, I get your front row seat and you show up looking like Don Ho. This is Hawaii. We went there last summer. It's got volcanoes and hula dancers and Don Ho and surfboards. So you can see, like, we're not crazy. Like, it's something that I didn't catch, I don't think, in Snake Eyes. I think you were the one who brought it up in that podcast. But now that we talked about it, now that I know what's happening in two things, I mean, we're two movies away from a Don Ho conspiracy. (laughs) (laughs) He's definitely a Cajun action to keep looking for at this point on. And so after they hang glide into the kitchen, they find the jelly beans, and Lucas tries to cancel the exterminator but accidentally calls a pizza place instead. And then the grandma and Tiffany show up, and Tiffany's trying to smush the ants, and the grandma runs, and she's like, don't do that, like Lucas is one of them. And she's like, what are you talking about, grandma? Yeah, and okay, and this is the endorsement I think I told you to watch out for, right? Is they're not just jelly beans, aren't they? Jelly bellies? They're jelly belly jelly beans. (laughs) So they got a little extra cash there for the advertising. And here's just another callback that's working for me is, you know, we have this sister who was introduced as just, you know, she's always got her headphones on. She doesn't pay any attention to her brother. So she's clearly not going to think that he's even, she doesn't even know he's gone for the weekend. And then the grandma who who believes that she she knows what's going on, right? The contrast is good comedy in this scene for me. And I'm starting to laugh again. (laughs) And and Bruce Campbell's there and he's chasing jelly beans. And he's like, I hear you. I hear you. (laughs) So uh, he's avoiding the big hand coming down. I mean, it's like another action sequence. It's great. I love it. And they escape through the kitchen sink drain, and they get back. And when they return, Cage has basically been waiting because he kind of, like, they never really follow through on it. And maybe they're just friends. But it seems like Cage's aunt is kind of in love with Julia Roberts. Yeah. He's basically waiting for them to come back. He's really nervous about them. And when they do come back, he's like, you know, you almost got her killed. Like, why does nobody else see Lucas as this threat aside from me? Yeah, and he freaks out again, and he's like, I got the potion, man, and I'm never giving it to you. You're going to be an ant for the rest of your life. Really rags on this kid. (laughs) I think the kid was, like, coming back and was like, look, we got jelly beans. I canceled the devil. He's not going to kill everybody. You know, like, I did good things. You know what this is? This 
is the potion that will make you big again. I just wanted you to take a good long look at it. Because this is the last time you'll ever see it. What? What do you mean? <laughs> I mean, there is no way I'm ever going to make you big again. <laughs> ever! You are a threat to every ant in this colony, especially to Hova. But I would never do anything to hurt Hova. I just... I... I just want to go home. Well then, if I were you, I'd try to find help somewhere else, because there is nothing for you here. This sort of alienates Cage from the colony that everybody now, Julia Roberts is on his side, Bruce Campbell's on his side, anybody who listens to them knows that Lucas is actually a kid who's trying to help them, even though we have this other ulterior motive that we're going to get to and they don't really know necessarily that he called in the exterminator. Cage, basically the only ant who hates this kid, is sort of cast aside and once again kind of recedes the background. Yeah, and not only that, doesn't Lucas run away too? Like, he completely pushes the kid away, and now the boy is, like, out alone on his own in the in the wilderness of, of the grass world. Yeah, and then he gets eaten by a frog. <laughs> he yeah. goes into the frog's belly. That's crazy. And there's a couple other bugs in there. And I feel like these bugs, I don't know their voices, but I feel like they're voices that are recognizable. I definitely recognize the beetle guy who was, like, very happy all the time, sounded a lot like the guy who voices Leonardo from the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mm. cartoon and yeah he's definitely popped up a lot along the way in my childhood they're sort of in like an unwinnable situation that they're in the frog's belly they don't know what to do they're basically just counting down the days until <laughs> they get pooped out or whatever or digested all of a sudden out of nowhere Cage shows up and Lucas is like how did you get here and he says well I didn't come in the rear entrance <laughs> <laughs> it's like probably the big laugh line of the movie yeah. that it's just like kids are like, oh, he's talking about butts. Zock, how'd you get here? Well, I sure didn't come in through the rear entrance. Welcome. Make yourself at home. Hi. Who is this? Your aunt? Zock, you are crazy. You're inside a frog for mother's sake. What are you doing? This is impossible. Listen to yourself, Zock. A wizard knows no such word. So what are you now? Yeah, this is definitely as crude and rude as the film gets, too. I mean, it's pretty gross when you think about it. I understand, you know, it's sort of a Pinocchio moment. You know, if Pinocchio can get eaten by a whale, Lucas Ant Boy can get eaten by a frog. But it's just so strange when he's in the frog's belly and, like, the bug is like, Hey, Lenny, my friend, I haven't seen you in a while. And it is just Lenny's head bobbing there, right? And he's like, Oh, my God. Like, there's some, like, horror going on in this moment. I don't know if they realize how dark it is, but I guess just from my adult perspective, I'm thinking, I don't know if this scene is quite right for little kids. I can see this as totally a scene where kids are just eating it up and loving it. Yeah. Even, even though it is really sort of grim and dark. They get gagged up as one of the bugs that's in there hops on the frog's uvula, right? The little hanging ball on the back of his throat, and that sort of makes him gag. I think that's and, part of it, right? Didn't Cage fall into the... He intentionally gets eaten by the frog, and he's carrying some kind of, like, Alka-Seltzer root. Was that it? I think okay. he said, like, alka rude man and like gave it a thumbs up and and the kids like everybody <laughs> hold on so they get gagged up and as they're running away lucas is like why did you come to save me he said well an ant will always sacrifice himself for my friends and i'm not talking about you i'm talking about julia roberts it's like come on dude like i know that you don't like him but you don't have to be this mean to the kid that was a strange line i i kind of cocked my head and i was like well that's weird you know <laughs> like I, I didn't save your life for you i did it to get into the good graces of this girl i like but then that night, they, they're laying out on the rock, they're going to sleep, and they sort of, this is when they start to bond and realize that they're not so different after all. 
that Lucas kind of has this realization that it's the same stars, they look the same size, because whether you're six feet tall or six millimeters tall or whatever, it's the same thing, and they, they realize that they're not so different after all. And this is kind of like the, hey, bullies, stop bullying. The kid that you're picking on isn't too different from you after all. Yeah, they bond over Cage can't understand why humans yawn, you know? And like that was yeah. kind of like forced but funny too. It's just like they give him this different but the same kind of thing going for it. I also kind of liked Cage may have felt like he's been a bully too for a little bit and that isn't quite right. And, the, and there's just a lot of that bully stuff going around in this whole movie. So They wake up in the morning and Bruce Campbell sees the Ant Mother, this, you know, storied, historic, mythical, the mother who gave birth to all ants, and he sees her flying toward them or coming toward them, and Lucas wakes up and sees that, but he also sees the cloud breather. It's funny, and it's sort of, I guess, I don't know, I mean, in terms of religion, in terms of whatever, like, the god and the devil are one and the same, and that this, like, ultimate bastion of savior <laughs> and this ultimate evil are the same thing, actually. They realize, oh, no, like, we did not cancel the exterminator. He's here, and we're all about to die. I don't think the movie intentionally is trying to say anything clever about religion, but it kind of <laughs> unintentionally does make a very sort of clever comment about that, right? About, like, God and the devil are basically two sides of the same coin or whatever, all that kind of stuff. You could play into it. I'm just saying, if you want to drive your college professor crazy, you do a paper on the ant bully, <laughs> and it's about its religious connotation. That would be a great paper to read. So, Tobin, when you're listening to this, next semester, have your kids watch this movie and write this. Like, right away, they know, like, how are they going to defeat him? They're going to make him small, too. Like, it's kind of Lucas's idea, I think, that he's the one who got them into this problem, so he's the one who has to get them out of it. Yeah, I actually didn't see that coming in. I should, I mean, I should have been. Maybe I was just way more into this movie than I should have been not to see their whole plan coming, but I, I just assumed they were going to make the truce with the wasps and sting the guy out of the yard or do something like that. It's almost like a full-on battle again you know we got like this giant return of the jedi level sort of battle going on with like air land and sea all going happening at the same time yeah now that they're up against this unspeakable face of evil all bugs must team up lucas and cage team up ants and the wasps team up everybody's on the same page because they know that if they're not going to team up they're all gonna die and so they all sort of unite and it's now this massive, basically, humans trying to take down Godzilla, right? Like, they're all, yeah. like, flying around and shooting him with things. And they have a bunch of the potion that Cage made. It's this epic sort of battle at the end of this kid's movie. And I love how Lucas comes riding into battle looking like Ant-Man, right? Like, he's got, like, this <laughs> helmet on with these bug eyes and the antenna. And he's got sort of these battle pads that he wears that make it look like a thorax and everything. All he's missing is, like, some fake arms coming out of the back or something to look just like an ant. I'm impressed with the art design here. You know, he looks really cool. Like, if I was a little kid watching this, I'd definitely want to play with his toy or, you know, <laughs> set up some kind of thing in my yard or pretending I'm him. And be Lucas as ant for Halloween. Mm -hmm. And not only does he look like an ant, but he also acts like an ant. Like, he picks up that thing that's way bigger than he is, you know, being able to lift 50 times his own body weight. He's able to finally climb a wall vertically, which I don't know how he did that, but hey, I'm <laughs> going with it. And he's also more important than anything else. He's loyal, that he's there to save his friends, to help them out. And he is truly now, in the most important moment, he is an ant. Yeah, he does like that Spider-Man wall walk kind of thing, <laughs> you know? And that is a big payoff for his character, actually, because it's the very first 
thing that he couldn't do that the rest yep. of the ants could, correct? Right? Like it was sort of way back when he was training and foraging, and it was like, oh, he can't make the wall walk, so like he gives up. But like here he is, he's like fully realized now, and, and I love the payoff. He's kind of like Batman trying to climb out of a hole, but instead of seeing, like, we don't <laughs> see him trying to get out of that hole. Like it's just like one time he can't do it, and the next time he can. But it's it's fine. Like I'm totally okay with it. I'm not nitpicking. It just works. What I am nitpicking about is that they cut to Paul Giamatti's scalp, and it is disgusting. They have these little lice, and his skin is flaking, and it's horrifyingly disgusting. Yeah, that's definitely a major gross-out moment, right? Like, that's all they were going for. I mean, it is kind of another clever play with the scale and everything. Like, the little boy lands on his head, so he would be in sort of this forest of hair, but then these lights pop out, and it's just nasty. (laughs) I could have used... I could have gone without... (laughs) He's wearing headphones, so he can't get squirted in the ears, so they need to find another hole. Like, there's, there's a lot of weird disgusting, vaguely sexual, gross things going on. The one wasp is carrying, like, a beetle, and they go up and they bite Paul Giamatti's dick? It's just weird. It's just uncomfortable. I'm like, you can see him, like, freaking out, but it's just, this is a kid's movie. Like, what's going on here? Yeah, that was very shocking. <laughs> that was very shocking. You know, the uh, the beetle from the frog's belly and his sort of slug friend that got rescued are, are like, let's join the battle. And the guy's like, yeah, why not? I only live for 12 days anyway, right? <laughs> Might as well do something with my life. And they fly up his pant leg. And I was like, oh, okay, I see where this is going. Like, they're just gonna, <laughs> they're gonna get him to do, like, a silly dance and then the bugs are going to be able to sting him somewhere. But no, they're like traveling up his pant leg going like, where should we bite him? They look over off screen clearly at his penis and are like, yeah. that looks like <laughs> something good to bite. I was like, no, it doesn't. Don't, don't go there. But they went there. And he starts like freaking out. And as he's freaking out, it gives Lucas and it gives Cage and it gives the wasp that they're riding the opportunity to take the stinger coated in the shrinking serum and sting Paul Giamatti in the butt. He doesn't, like, shrink down. Like, Lucas is kind of, like, full-scale boy, shrinks down proportionally. Paul Giamatti, I guess because he got stung in the butt, maybe because he's bigger than a boy and it wasn't strong enough, he just goes to, like, a funhouse mirror-style transformation where he's just, like, terrifying and horrifying and just crazy to look at. Yeah, he becomes this distorted, warped, sort of misproportioned creature, almost. I don't know if it's because he didn't get dosed in the ear. That's what happened to the boy, but they never set up the rules about it, really. I just kind of figured, yeah, that he didn't get a, a proportionate enough dose for the size that he is, or maybe they intentionally knew that they were going to just turn him into a freak for the rest of his life. It works, though. I mean, even though it doesn't shrink him down to ant size, he gets small enough that he's scared away, he's chased away by a swarm of bugs, and they ride off into the sunset. Now Lucas, you know, he saved the day, and he has a little bit of a tender moment with his ants. Do they give him anything to return him to full size, or now that he's fully an ant, he just sort of completed his journey, and now he's just going to return to boy size. Cage comes up to him, and he goes, I believe in you. You're an ant. You know, I was wrong, and we've all become better from this, and here's the potion. He's like, I told you I'd never give it to you, but you've earned it. And the kid takes it, and he grows back up, and that's like the movie. It's like a happy ending that he now knows not to bully. Oh, and then the bullies come back, right? And he sort of has his, his comeuppance that he's no longer going to be intimidated by these bullies. 
yeah, he's back to normal size the next day. It is, I sort of see him as the guardian of the colony now. He's not going to let anything happen to this anthill. But then the bullies come back. These bullies that they set up really well, that this guy has his little gang that follows him around, right? And his little cronies and things like that. Yeah, and Lucas like stands up to him. And it works. Like, all of the bully's friends basically switch sides, and they stand up against the bully and, and send him off running. And it's a happy ending for pretty much everyone involved. The ants will live, Lucas is no longer bullied, maybe he has real-world friends. Everybody goes home happy. Yeah, and then there's that one shot also of him pouring jelly beans, like, down the anthill, and everyone's rejoicing, and it's just, like, going out on a high note. <laughs> And that is The Ant Bully. I kind of wish that this was the first animated movie instead of Christmas Carol, because this is, like we were saying earlier, how I wish it all began. But I'm glad that we got it. And I like this movie a lot more than I thought I was going to. I don't know if you necessarily need to see it, but if you're looking for like a shorter, fun cage in a good voice role, I think you could do worse on this. I think this is a pretty good movie. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by this film. I really had no expectations going in regarding the plot or the animation or anything like that. I just wanted to check out Nick Cage in it, and I gotta say, like, all of the voice acting is really top-notch. You know, I wasn't even aware it was Julia Roberts. Like, her voice, it's not as recognizable as I would have imagined. No, you're right, you're right. right. And I think that works, though, you know, because it doesn't distract you that it's Julia Roberts, and I never really feel that from anybody. No one, you know, even Bruce Campbell, who's playing it up and hamming it up, and, you know, he's definitely the comic relief here like he never gets annoying they never overuse him like everything feels pretty well even so for all things cage club for all things nicholas cage you can go to cageclub.me you can read our reviews for the movies you can find past podcasts follow us on twitter rate review subscribe on itunes all things cage cageclub.me i'm joey lewandowski and i'm mike manzi and we'll see you next time on cage club